The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And from Revelation. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thanks for reading, Jess. Let me pray again before the reading, uh, the preaching of God's word. Father God, we pray that as we listen to your word and being read and preached by your Holy Spirit, that you would do the work of opening our eyes and ears and hearts and minds, that we would see and hear and learn more about Jesus and grow to conform to the image of your Son. In this we pray. Amen. So we are wrapping up a six-part Advent series called His Name Shall Be. The first sermon was the everlasting God, and then we heard about God Most High, the God who provide. And last week, David preached on God with us. And I know Christmas happened, I think it was yesterday. I was busy planning for sermon. Um, and I know these are sort of the post-Advent Sundays, but for, for myself, I call these the Assistant Pastors Sunday. You know? And Ben and I will be finishing up this six-part series in the next two weeks. And um, for this morning, let me begin with a little bit about myself, help you to understand. I immigrated to the U.S. Um, in the mid-90s um, when I was in middle school. And at the time, I didn't have a lot of goals in my life um, uh, besides just to survive uh, the move and make it in this place called Maryland. It wasn't my choice to move to the U.S. It wasn't my idea. There was no American dream. If I had ever had a choice, I would have picked Japan because I grew up watching Japanese anime and it would just be like a proper place for kids to go. But my parents had a different idea. Um, I was moved when I was the age of 12. And to make it in Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, for me was simply to understand English and maybe make a few friends. And the bar was pretty low. Um, and that was still the 20th century, if you think about it. I had a paperback dictionary and a grammar book, and that's what I used to get through math, not a calculator. Um, and we didn't have Google Translate. We, even, we didn't have Google Search to help us to navigate life. But school, luckily, school kept me in check. They put me in it. My brother and I, ESL, before we even had a chance to speak, they realized we don't speak English. 
So then I had goals and progress to make uh, to get through the purgatory of ESL so I can be a normal kid again uh, in my high school. But in terms of life, I was so lost that I didn't know I was so lost. You know, not only was I struggling with English in classes like music and math, my dad stayed behind in Taiwan to work and support the family. I was so lost that I didn't know I was so lost. But God went after me in high school and saved me in college. Now, let me ask you a question. What aspect of Christianity do you think that mapped onto my story of finding Jesus? What, what is a part of the Bible do you think that connected with me? In what way do you think God saved me? Of course, we would think Father. God wants me to know him as a father. Scripture talk about God being the father and his promises to provide, to love you, to protect, and to bless you. He not only can do it, but he wants to do it and he will do it. And God longs for his prodigal sons to return. And God is my heavenly father, that he is a father to the fatherless and he is a sustainer to, to foreigners. And I myself, as a pastor, I'm also a father of three kids. And nothing defines who I am than this image of my child fighting to sit on my lap, uh, father's lap, every night when we read books together. But just like me, they will one day grow up. So what aspect, other aspect of Christianity do you think at first mapped onto my story or another person's story of coming to Jesus? It's this verse from Isaiah. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us has turned its own way. And the Lord has laid down Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All sheep, black sheep, white sheep, smart wool sheep, lost sheep, they have all gone astray. And Jesus, the good shepherd, goes out and search for that lost sheep who wanders away. This symbol of the shepherd is found and appreciated by the early church, a symbol of a shepherd. And in fact, if you look at scripture, we human beings are called sheep for more than about 400 times in the Bible. And God is called a shepherd for about 100 times. So therefore, this is a fairly important metaphor. Now this morning, the sermon text is from John 10 and Psalm 23. It talks about people. It describes people as sheep. No, while I am not a sheep expert, I've been long, around long enough to figure out that being called sheep is not usually that flattering. Uh, it implies that we are a communal, group-oriented people, maybe at fall, we, where we blindly follow each other. We need some help to save us, ourselves from either our collective stupidity or communal incompetence, or predators like wolves and thieves. If some of those things are true about human, we need help, and we are not great at saving ourselves. So what do you think is our solution as sheep? We live in a culture that believes sheep just need fences. Fences, more of them. Fences mean a social system or rules that set us up for success and keep us safe. The problem is, 
we're not entirely great at building fences, right? The culture we live tells us that, hey, the fences that are currently up there need to be torn down because it's just not working anymore. There's another group of people that says, hold on. Those fences are pretty good. Don't tear it down. Just wait until the system sort of figure its way out and improve those fences. And of course, there's also a group of us in the Silicon Valley that says, no, the fences are bad, but they're not, they're not unredeemable. We just need to make them better with technology and in AI. We just need to be driven by informed data, and, and we just need to maximize efficiency. Fences can be improved through tech, technological innovation. And if we are not careful, we reduce Jesus to a set of rules of do's and don't do's in a system for success and safety. You know, John 10, unfortunately, we didn't get ready to, to read John 10's this morning, but Jesus talked as he said, I am the good shepherd. If we're not careful, we, we, we might reduce Jesus to, uh, uh, to I am the good fences. Thieves cannot come in and steal. The wolves cannot hop over and destroy. And the sheep cannot go out and fall over a cliff. We might think Jesus' nice fences given to us so we may have life and have it to the full. We might think as long as we have a good system, a set of rules in, in place, sheep are good to go. Just tells us how to live. Give us rules. We don't need a shepherd to show us how to live and where to go. Give us better fences, more fences, everlasting fences, and fences that are the most high. But the gospel of John, by saying we are sheep, we actually need a shepherd, a one that would lay down his life for us. Now, this morning I was thinking about I have one point, then it turned to three, because I'm just a pastor with three points. I was thinking, if I can walk away getting you guys to believe that we don't need fences, just a good shepherd, that would be enough. But I also want to highlight three aspects of a shepherd that would be very helpful for us to understand why we need, to need a shepherd. You know, I love psalms and songs that are communal, such as Psalm 46. God is our fortress, and he is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There's something just beautiful about these communal songs. Even like last Sunday when David preached a sermon, God with us. That is just so beautiful. But what makes Psalm 23 stands out? At every funeral, which is actually a funeral sermon, if you think about it, it doesn't say that the Lord is our shepherd, that we shall not want. Nor does it say, even though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, we will feel no evil, for you are with us. One of the most stunning things about this psalm is that it says the Lord is my shepherd. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death... I will not fear evil, for he is with me. You know, as much as we are social creatures in a collective flock, your life is yours to live. Your sin is yours to confess. Your cross is yours to carry. I can help you, but I cannot live your life nor carry your cross. 
You cannot fully know my past and fully understand my struggle as a pastor, nor carry my burden. But God can. He is addressed in the most personal term as my shepherd. The sheep is always fully dependent on his or her shepherd. You may outgrow your need for fences, but you will never outgrow your need for the shepherd to care for you, to feed you, to lead you, and to protect you. This shepherd is a personal figure, which is what I was trying to get that across. But he's not a German shepherd. <laughs> he's not your personal dog that leads you on a walk through a park, take you to places that you do not want to go. Nor is he a watchdog who guards against unwanted and unexpected human and or animals intruders. He is not a dog that helps you cope with crisis. He is a king that conquers your crisis. This shepherd is a kingly figure. This shepherd image that, that we just read from Psalm 23 is a well-used royal image in the ancient Near East. People like Moses and David were described as shepherds. They were literal shepherds before God set them apart for his work. I mean, Moses was a shepherd before he met God at the burning bush. And David was a shepherd as well. Both Moses and David then were called to be shepherds for God's people. Isaiah 63 says, Moses didn't lift up staff, the shepherd's staff that he has at the Red Sea, for stylistic points. Moses is described as the shepherd who brought God's flock out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Psalm 78, David is described from being tending the sheep in a sheepfold to being the shepherd for God's people. The psalm tells us how God is going to care for us. He is going to provide a shepherd king to us. He is your royal shepherd, not your German shepherd. He makes you lie down in green pasture. He leads you beside quiet waters. He guides you along the right path. And he is with you as you walk through the valley of shadow of death. Typically, you know, I try to help my kids memorize Psalm 23. So toward the end, you sort of just drop off like, yeah, that doesn't matter. We don't know what that is. Like, what is it about, like, anointing your head with oil and preparing table? It's like, how did God turn in from the shepherd to the hospitality industry? Like, or priestly, um, as a priest. Nobody sort of really understand. Robert Alter, he's an emeritus professor at Berkeley. He said, this is an image of a spa. He's moistened your head with oil. It is more sensual than sacramental. And he lists out all the physical elements of a happy life. A table is laid out with good things to eat. A head of hair is well rubbed with oil, olive oil and an overflowing cup of wine. And that is a royal treatment from the royal shepherd who is coming to rescue you and leading you home. Now, the older you get, the more disappointed you are with the heroes and the people that you look up to. Sometimes you're too disappointed with your pastors or pastors. It is so easy just to build up fences, have your guard up, and says, you will never, you will never be disappointed again. But sheep don't need fences. They need a shepherd. The Bible 
You know, when the Bible talks about Moses and David, it didn't say David and Moses are sort of heroes for you to look up to. They speak of Moses and David's failures as a way to point us and channel our longing for a divine shepherd. So not only we have a personal shepherd and a royal shepherd, but we also have a divine shepherd. The good news of Christmas is this, guys, is that God is not one of us. We tend to focus on our ability to know and understand God, like what David mentioned last week in the sermon introduction. What if God is one of us? The good news is that God is not one of us. That's the greatest news. People get tired and weary. They break vows and they disappoint you, but God doesn't. Psalm 23 and John 10 is not just about a shepherd, but the shepherd, the divine shepherd. It focuses on the otherness of God. Jesus says, I am, I am the good shepherd, unlike other hired shepherd. I do not abandon the sheep and run away. I lay down my life for the sheep. God is not like us. Yet, the otherness of God is also found in Revelation 7, which we just read. In Revelation 7, the ending book of the Bible, the apostle John wrote down an apocalyptic vision of the future. You see a throne, and you expect to see a shepherd leading his people to the city of living water. Yeah, this is what we see. A shocking image of a lamb shepherding and guiding his people to the springs of living water. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. This is an image of a divine shepherd becoming a sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of this world. God is not like us. That's a good news. But he understands us. He is a lamb shepherding and guiding his people to the springs of living water. We have a shepherd who understands our struggle. He's better than your therapist, your best friend, your spouse, and even your pastor. He is the shepherd. Now let me close with one more thought or application we're not very good at application to grace. I don't think I'm going to get this application right, but I will try. The story in the Psalm 23 is a dynamic story. This Psalm isn't just offering a static portrait or a still snapshot. It is a film. It is a story. The story that has high points and low points, it weaves weave through different situations. So the psalm is comforting because, to us because it reflects the up and downs of the real life. It shows that the God is with us through it all. It's not just a static picture of some people, you know, like people can relate to. There is going to be a moment in, in the bit of your life story that you can resonate with each part of psalm. There are those of us in pastures, green pasture can thank God for his lavish love. There are those of us who are in the valley. We can say, God is also with us. So this psalm has this beginning, middle, and the end. It is this linear story. It's up and down, 
but it also takes you home to God's house where you can finally rest forever. This psalm is also so memorable because it begins with God, he is my shepherd. It ends with God, you are my shepherd. So how do you know? How do you know though? How do you know Jesus is your shepherd, that he is still with you? How do you know? Well, when I was on a United flight from Taipei to Washington, D.C. on July 2nd, 1986, I was not just a 12-year-old immigrant who cannot speak English. I was a lost sheep. I was a frightened sheep. Because in my head, I had this phrase, the world is before me and the home is behind me. But when sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, they follow him. And they would travel beyond the fences. And at that point, everything changes. The sheep, sheep no longer say, sing and say, the world before us and the home behind us. The sheep begins to sing and say, home is before me and the world is behind me. And that's the presence of your shepherd. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son, the good shepherd, who will lay down his life for us. And because of him, we can say home is before us and the world is behind us. We pray that as we enter this new year, that we will draw near to you and we will read your word and hear the voice of your son written in the scripture. We pray that you will help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.